Thank you, Senior Choir, for bringing the spirit, inspiring our hearts. What a gift to have grace, I say before I preach. <laughs> so thank you, church family. We have uh, three passages of scripture today, one from the Old Testament, one from the New, and one from the voices of today, because God is still speaking, right? Through all of us, our art and our literature, literature and reflections and poetry. And we will get to all of these scripture pieces in time, but first, I do just want to take a breath. I want to acknowledge together that it has been a very difficult past couple of weeks. For our world, certainly, a devastating earthquake in Turkey and in Syria, more than 40,000 people lost, many still missing, a train carrying toxic chemicals derailed and in flames in Ohio, an ongoing war in Ukraine, and in our community, a number of illnesses, injuries, emergencies, and ongoing treatments. And personally, I think of all of the incredible strength and vitality that it takes so many of us just to get through every single mundane day regardless of whether it is an emergency or a crisis. And here is a thought that I have a lot, that I've had a lot this week, that I rarely say out loud, very infrequently, to an entire church. Shouldn't it be easier than this? God, if things were right in this world, if I were doing the things that I should be, if I loved God enough, if God loved me enough, Shouldn't it be easier? Why am I encountering so much hardship? I've asked myself, why do bad things keep happening? Why do I have to work so much? Why don't I see God in this? Where is God in this? I can't always seem to see God through all of the smoke, all the news, all the crises and distractions and fire. It sometimes feels like the whole world is on fire, doesn't it? A few weeks ago, as you all know, my apartment building caught on fire. It is not too soon to laugh. We're making jokes. We're on fire. <laughs> and so needless to say, my mind has been on fire. So that's what I want to talk to you about today. And with that in mind, I ask you to turn to our first passage of scripture from the book of Deuteronomy. And let us read it together. These words the Lord spoke with a loud voice to your whole assembly at the mountain, out of the fire, the cloud, and the thick darkness. And he added no more. He wrote them on two stone tablets and gave them to me. When you heard the voice out of the darkness, while the mountain was burning with fire, you approached me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders, and you said, look, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and greatness, and we have heard his voice out of the fire. We have seen this day that God may speak to someone and the person may still live. But now why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. 
If we hear the voice of our Lord, our God, any longer, we shall die. For who is there, all of flesh, that has heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the fire as we have and lived? Go near, you yourself, and hear all that the Lord our God will say. Then tell us everything that the Lord our God tells you, and we will listen and do it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God and the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children and talk about them when you are at home and when you are away, when you lie down and when you rise. Find them as a sign on your hand, fix them as an emblem on your forehead, and write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. So what is going on there? This is a bit of scripture from the book of Deuteronomy, which is a biblical book that I think is highly underrated and which has a very legendary story. The story goes that in 622 BC, 600 years before Jesus, King Josiah, the king of Israel, made a remarkable discovery. Out of the temple, hidden away somewhere were these scrolls covered in dust, covered in rubble, and they were lost, they were forgotten. They had been lost by the tribe of Israel, much like the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls. What these scrolls contained was none other than a series of texts written by the great prophet Moses, the one who had led them to the promised land, who had liberated them from slavery in Egypt. It was the farewell sermon of one of the founders of their faith, a remarkable find an archeological feat, a miracle. And the story goes that Josiah was so inspired by these lost texts that he turned the whole nation around. The Israelites had fallen to idolatry. They began to worship other gods and in the feet of the power of Yahweh, Josiah ordered that all of these idols be smashed, be taken down, that the church and the temple remain only gods. A new regime began all because of the rediscovery of something lost. That's how the story goes. Most scholars today uh, don't actually believe that Moses wrote the speeches that are in this text. They don't believe it was a rediscovered text, but actually a new one that was written for that time, but that also doesn't stop scholars or believers like us from believing that this text, Deuteronomy, is an incredible work of literature that reflected the way that God was working in the lives of the Israelites in the time of King Josiah, as they found themselves in a challenging time in their nation and in their world, and which might contain truth about the ways in which God is working in our lives today. Because the facts of history don't stop texts such as this from conveying real truth about the way that God speaks in our lives. So in this great work of literature, which we just read, Moses, the great leader of the Israelites, the writer of the Torah is talking to his people. He's reminding them of what happened at Mount Sinai when they received the two stone tablets with the Ten Commandments, the law of God. 
those ones that are posted in Fellowship Hall and in the narthex. He's reminding them of what that experience was like, describing it in all of its terrifying detail, and he's recounting back to the people what they said to him. So what we read is a bit of dialogue between Moses and the people, a prophet, and those who are scared. And I want to draw our attention to something we might otherwise miss. That the Israelites heard God's voice out of the darkness while the mountain was burning with fire. The people heard God's voice out of the fire. It says the Lord speaks with a loud voice to the whole assembly at the mountain out of the fire, through the cloud, through the thick darkness. And the people learned directly what they could only take Moses' word for before, that they can hear God's voice out of the fire, that they can encounter God and still live. They can be transformed because they cannot go on living the way that they had before. They will live according to a new code, a new way of being. They will live more abundantly. And this comes as a shock to the people that they can hear the Lord's voice through the fire, but it doesn't come as a shock to Moses. And it shouldn't come as a shock to us as readers of the Bible. Because if we recall, fire is baked into the very fabric of the Bible. Because fire is baked into the very fabric of our lives. When Moses receives his call to ministry, it is through a burning bush. It's through the fire. When Moses speaks to God, it is through fire. When Moses receives 10 commandments and gives them to the people, it is through fire. The faith of the Israelites was founded upon fire. And then we have the New Testament, the birth of Christianity, the arrival of salvation, the Messiah, the time that they had waited for for so long and that they believed would set everything right. And we'll imagine that it would all be fine, right? Except what happens. Jesus comes under fire. Not literal fire, but the fire and the ire and the threats and criticism of his people. Through the fire, Jesus comes to meet with them, to heal them, to love them, and he's burned. Jesus, already perfect, goes through the refiner's fire, and we're told that when Jesus comes again, it will be through fire. And this is not to be dramatic. This is not some fire and brimstone sermon. I'm not talking about hell. I am not talking about wrath. I'm not talking about the end of the world or the end of times. I'm talking about today. Talking about yesterday and this week. I'm talking about the last few weeks in the world and the community and my life because I've been looking around and I've been seeing fire. And I'm seeing that it is fire that is throughout the history of God's activity with creation. God speaks through fire. But let's not misinterpret this. I don't mean to say that God punishes us with fire, literally or metaphorically. Let's be clear, God does not enact natural disasters like earthquakes or light fires in apartment buildings or spark tragedy to get our attention. 
In fact, Jesus directly refutes this kind of bad and very common theology, that kind of voice that's in my head whenever anything goes awry, several times. First, in Luke 9:54, when two of Jesus' disciples, James and John, misunderstand Jesus and his ministry, what he's called to do. A few Samaritans, you see, are rude to Jesus and the disciples. And so the disciples ask Jesus, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven to consume them? A reasonable response. I feel that way on the 95 sometimes. Because they're angry and they're indignant about cruelty and they think that that warrants sending a natural or supernatural disaster upon the people. But of course, Jesus rebukes them. He says, that's not what I'm about. Jesus is not about fire and brimstone, nor about smiting people. That is not the loving character of God. And so the text records him saying, you do not know what spirit you are of. For the Son of Man has not come to destroy the lives of humans, but to save them. Jesus is not about punishment with fire or natural disaster. We see this also in Luke 13, 4, when a tower tragically falls in Jerusalem and kills 18 people. And like we often do, his disciples ask why. Why did this tragedy happen? And Jesus tells them that these people were no more guilty than anyone else in the city. That their actions or inactions, their sins or virtues did not cause the tragedy to happen. Tragedy just happens. And Jesus directly contradicts any kind of theology that tries to draw a straight line between our behavior and disasters because no one deserves a natural disaster. So no, I do not mean to say that when God speaks to us through the fire that God is punishing us with fire and anyone who does ought to read the book of Luke. I mean to say that God speaks through the fire, that even though the world is burning, even though catastrophe strikes us, even despite the chaos and the suffering and the war and the violence and the tears and the bloodshed and the disasters made by man and nature, but not by God, that God is there. God is speaking. God is giving us hope. And we have to listen. We don't have to wait until the world is better or our lives are better to see God, to rest in God's strength and support, to find hope. We don't have to wait until the smoke settles because God speaks through the fire. And here is why that matters. Because there has not been a time on earth, there is not a time in the Bible there will never be a time in this creation or the next without fire, without suffering, without pain, without natural disasters and personal crises and tragedy. That's just true, and I wish it weren't. But there will also probably never be a time in your life or in my life where we can just sit back and say, oh yeah, I have nothing more to worry about. I've checked off every box. I've done everything I need to do on my to-do list. I have no reason to worry or fret or cry. I mean, can you imagine? It's comical. I feel like 
as soon as I sit down at the end of the day, I get comfy, I pull up a cup of tea or a blanket and suddenly the phone rings or the dog barks or I remember that email that I forgot to send or my stomach growls or someone wants my attention, all of this and I don't even have kids. We are never gonna get comfortable. We're not gonna find that kind of peace. There will never be a time in which the circumstances of our lives are right and the stars align so that we can have that perfect 15 minutes to encounter God in prayer. That day is not gonna arrive because that's not what our faith is about. Our faith is not from, about sanctuary from the rest of the world. It's about sanctuary within the worries of the world. It's not about hiding from the fire. It's about learning to hear God through the fire. It's about stepping into the flames like Daniel in the lion's den and coming out with hope. So if you've been looking for the right time to start your spiritual journey or to pray or to read the Bible or to change the world, to get active in the community, to find God, and you've been waiting for your schedule to clear up, for things to get a little bit easier, for the smoke to settle, well, this is our call to forget that notion, to remember that we don't have to wait to hear God speaking. We can look into the fire of our lives and see what God is saying. And if you've been looking into the fire of your life, if things have been really painful, if you've encountered suffering and difficulties and stress, and you're thinking, am I not good enough? Did I do something wrong? Am I not worthy of peace and quiet and love? Is this fire my fault? Well, this is your call to remember that you are so loved by God. So loved that there's hope, that there's no punishment like that. And especially if we've been looking at the tragedy in others' lives, and thinking that in some way they're responsible, that it's their actions that have brought them tragedy or hardship. Well, this is our call to forget all of that too. There's not fire because we're being punished. There's just fire. And our faith teaches us that God not only has a history of speaking through that fire, that holy fire, but that God might be speaking to us through it right now and that we too can speak through the fire because in our second scripture passage we see John the Baptist tell us that when Jesus comes he will baptize us with the Holy Spirit and with fire and I think most of you would agree that just making it through the day often feels like baptism by fire a lesson in how to live and it is it's hard but baptized by fire and empowered by the Spirit, instructed by this fire, instructed by this commandment that Moses records God saying through the fire that Jesus quotes directly through the book of Deuteronomy, this greatest commandment, that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. If we follow that commandment of love, and if we keep these words in our hearts, reciting them to our children and talking about them while we are at home and when we are away, when we lie down and when we rise, if we 
hold that love, we can speak into the fire. We can do good work. We can help. We can hear God speak and live to tell the story. And so I want to close today with a poem by someone who does tell that story. A poem that I think about a lot because the planet is on fire and the tides are rising and my life often feels like a series of attempts to put out little fires all over the place. And yet I want to be loving. I want to write loving words. I want to say loving words. I want to do loving actions. I want to write love poetry, not to avoid the pain and suffering in the world, but to engage it. And so, why write love poetry in a burning world by Katie Ferris? To train myself to find in the midst of hell what isn't hell. The body bold and cancerous, but still beautiful enough to imagine living the body washing the body, replacing a loose front porch step, the body chewing what it takes to keep a body going. This scene has a tune, a language I can read, a door I cannot close, I stand within its wedge, a shield. Why write love poetry in a burning world? To train myself in the midst of a burning world to offer love, poems of love to a burning world. Amen.